sweet land of liberty, our founding fathers not only pledged, but gave their lives, their fortunes, and their sacred honor to obtain our God-given liberty. Now it's our turn. Liberty can only thrive if it's alive in the hearts of a freedom-loving people. I'm Dan Matthews, and I'm pleased to welcome you to Freedom's Ring. Here's our host and constitutional lawyer and minister, Alan Reinach. Welcome back to Freedom's Ring, my friends. My guest today is Randall Balmer, who is historian. He's currently uh, John Phillips Professor in Religion at Dartmouth College, author of many books. His latest, which just hit the press in August of this year, is called Bad Faith, Race, and the Rise of the Religious Right. Welcome back to Freedom's Ring, Professor Balmer. It's great to be here. Thank you so much. Well, I appreciate you taking the time. And we've talked about this story before that there is a myth among evangelical Christians today that the the political movement we've known as the religious right was really, you know, founded in response to Roe versus Wade. And of course, abortion has become a driving force in the politics of evangelical Christians. But in fact, that's not correct as a historical matter. And and I know you not only lived this history, but you've researched it. Uh, Talk to me about why it is that, you know, how abortion came to be the center of this myth and the center of this political movement. I think the short answer, Alan, is that uh, abortion became a part of this myth simply by uh, dint of repetition. (laughs) The leaders of the religious right kept saying, it's abortion that got us politically active. We didn't want to be active. And in fact, uh, evangelicals were not politically active, at least not in any organized way for most of uh, the 20th century, certainly the middle decades of the 20th century. And they kept saying in the the 1980s and beyond, well, we got involved in politics because of the uh, scourge of abortion and we wanted to get uh, Roe v. Wade overturned. And I think uh, simply by dint of repetition, over the years, this became sort of uh, the standard story. And I'm even willing to allow that uh, certain uh, leaders of the religious right actually came to believe it themselves after a while. Um, if you listen to what uh, Jerry Falwell said, for example, toward the end of his life, uh, it's pretty clear that he thought that <laughs> abortion was uh, what got them involved in the movement. And uh, it, it's simply not the case. And so that's uh, what I was trying to, to weed out. Well, take us back to the 1970s in the aftermath of Roe versus Wade, which was the abortion decision from 1973. And what were the Protestant responses to Roe v. Wade? And and what was the whole debate? In, In your book, you point out that it was much more nuanced initially than the sort of very, uh, you know, kind of bifurcated, you know, it's either uh, make it illegal, it's either pro-choice or pro-life, we've become very binary in our approach to abortion in recent decades. But it, it wasn't that way back in the 70s. No, there was a really uh, kind of robust moral debate over abortion in the 1970s, which, uh, and I've talked to some uh, leaders now of the what was then the anti-abortion movement, they kind of missed those days when there was a really spirited exchange over that. And and it didn't divide evenly uh, between left and right, between Republican and Democratic. 
it was uh, there was a lot of uh, overlap in the other direction. Um, Edward Kennedy, for example, Joseph Biden, uh, both of them were initially uh, quite opposed to abortion. And in the evangelical world, actually, the first major evangelical voice to come out against abortion was Mark Hatfield, Republican senator from Oregon, evangelical, Baptist. And uh, early on, he, he took a stand uh, against abortion. And he's really, uh, I mean, you can make an, a bit of an argument for a couple of other people, but he's really the first evangelical voice to come out against abortion. In saying that, the overall answer to your question is that evangelicals regarded abortion as a Catholic issue for most of the 1970s. Uh, so, for example, as I point out in the book, um, when the abortion ruling was handed down on January 22, 1973, W.A. Criswell, one of the most famous fundamentalists in the 20th century, pastor of First Baptist Church in Dallas and a previous president of the Southern Baptist Convention, issued a statement praising the Roe v. Wade decision of the Supreme Court in 1973. Um, you know, there's a lot of evidence. I'll just kind of mention a few things here. Uh, uh, Christianity Today magazine, two successive editors, the founding editor Carl F.H. Henry and his successor, Harold Lindzell, both issued what can at best be regarded uh, as equivocal statements on the abortion issue. Even James Dobson, who later became a fervent anti-abortion activist, issued a statement upon the release of the Roe v. Wade decision saying that uh, the fetus is not uh, a, a person and therefore should not be treated as a person. And then going back a little bit, even before the Roe v. Wade ruling, and again, I'm happy to, to, to kind of pile up the evidence here, but uh, uh, 1971, the Southern Baptist Convention, which is a denomination not exactly known for its liberalism, passed a resolution, 1971, in St. Louis, calling for the legalization of abortion. The resolution they reaffirmed in 1974, the year after Roe v. Wade, and again in 1976. And then I guess just the final thing, and I'm happy to pile on here if you want me to, but Jerry Falwell, by his own admission, did not preach his first anti-abortion sermon until February of 1978. That's more than five years, five years after the Roe v. Wade decision of 1973. So uh, again, to answer your question, Evangelicals regarded, uh, with the exception of Mark Hatfield, really, evangelicals regarded abortion as a Catholic issue throughout most of the 1970s. Now, uh, to look at the history that you tell in your book, and again, the title of the book, Bad Faith, Race, and the Rise of the Religious Right, um, some Catholic political operatives, uh, not household names to most of our listeners, although names... I'm very familiar with, uh, they were really struggling to try to figure out how to enlist conservative Protestants, evangelicals uh, for, you know, a political, you know, voting block uh, throughout certainly the 70s, if not before, and initially found that the abortion issue was really, they were not successful at recruiting Protestants over the issue of abortion. Talk a little bit about that. This is really Frank Schaefer's story more than mine in some ways, because he was really on the front lines trying to get uh, evangelicals uh, involved in this. And one of the stories he tells in Crazy for God, which is really a remarkable book, I think, in many ways. One of the stories he tells is that uh, he and his father, Francis Schaefer, were meeting with um, 
Fulton Sheen, a Catholic Monsignor. And uh, Sheen was, you know, just kind of uh, at his wit's end. He said, I, I really want to get evangelicals involved in this issue. Maybe you can help me speaking to Francis Schaeffer. And, you know, that's eventually the way that uh, Francis Schaeffer and his son Frank went with uh, whatever happened with the human race. But it was, uh, it was a tough sell. And uh, actually, I just learned recently from Frank that when they went to Billy Graham, in the 1970s and tried to get Billy Graham enlisted in the anti-abortion cause, Graham said no. He was uh, uh, he, he presented himself as, as pro-choice. So this was not an evangelical issue in the 1970s. Uh, that's what I call, why I call it the abortion myth. The abortion myth is the fiction that evangelicals mobilized politically in the 1970s in response to the Roe v. Wade decision of 1973. Simply not the case. Simply not true. Well, and you go to some pains in your book to point out this doesn't take away from the sincerity of what came later in terms of the the pro-life movement and how evangelicals have embraced what is essentially a Roman Catholic position, right? Well, that's absolutely right. And I'm not passing judgment on that. And I think, you know, I certainly think that there's a a strong moral case to be made against abortion. I think, um, you know, the way I personally would parse it out is I think there's a distinction between moral case and a legal case. But that's probably another conversation that uh, we might want to get into at some point. But yes, absolutely. I'm not and I want to reinforce what you just stated in your question. Uh, I don't think that exposing the abortion myth, which I think is awfully important, in any way uh, diminishes the sincerity of those who have been uh, on the front lines of the of the pro-life or anti-abortion cause. Well, for those who are wondering why we haven't yet talked too much about the issue of race, we're going to do a second interview and really focus on uh, what really was the founding of the religious right. But I do want to kind of look at the sort of theological slash legal angle here, because as a Seventh-day Adventist, I've often said that we stand on the shoulders of the Baptists in our approach to separation of church and state. You know, uh, we have been uh, what I call pro-life and pro-choice, which is to say uh, pretty mainstream in thinking that abortion is appropriate in very narrow, limited circumstances, which is pretty typical for Protestants, but also uh, very concerned that abortion politics is really driven by the Roman Catholic doctrine that of the immortality of the soul and how the immortal soul enters the womb at the moment of conception. And that, you know, the abortion politics of the right is really built on this theological foundation, which is foreign to the Baptists, certainly, but has shaped uh, evangelical politics to a great extent. And, you know, some of, you know, my mentors who were in leadership back in the 70s and 80s were quick to object to the politics of abortion as the attempt to legislate Roman Catholic theology and doctrine, which was a position that I was initially very skeptical of for a long time. But I've kind of come around and been more receptive to, uh, you know, that there's really some truth to that. I'm interested in your perspective on on the relationship of Catholic theology and effect on the evangelical uh, attitudes towards abortion. I think that effect has been profound, and I think it's frankly the abortion issue that brought these two 
uh, together. And you know, when I was growing up in the evangelical world, or what I call the evangelical subculture, I was taught to be extraordinarily suspicious of Roman Catholics and Roman Catholicism in any and all forms. In fact, my parents told me if I ever married a Roman Catholic, I would be disowned. I expect that uh, story probably is not all that unusual within the evangelical world in the uh, middle decades of the uh, of the 20th century. But yes, I think the, the abortion issue has brought these two uh, formerly antagonistic religious traditions uh, toward more of an understanding. And I also think, and I, I don't mean this uh, in a critical way, although it probably will sound that way, uh, I think to some degree that what happened with evangelicalism in the 1980s is that they began to outsource their theology, their theological thinking, to the to the Roman Catholic Church on issues like abortion, uh, in part because evangelicals simply hadn't thought about it as a as a moral issue uh, before uh, really the 1980s, uh, and it's also reflected, I think, in uh, in uh, judicial appointments. Uh, Ronald Reagan. Uh, George H.W. Bush, George W. Bush, all of them owed a great deal to the religious right for their political rise, their political success. And so when they were making judicial appointments, particularly Supreme Court appointments, uh, the logical thing to do would have been to appoint uh, evangelical jurists to those important positions. And then you begin to think, well, what's the short list of, of evangelical jurists? It's a very short list, <laughs> especially in those years. Right. And they wound up with Roman Catholics on the court. And they wound up instead with conservative Roman Catholics. So I've been arguing for many years, in a sense, uh, evangelicals have outsourced uh, their thinking on these legal issues. And again, it's, it, it sounds like a criticism. I don't mean it as a criticism. It's more a description, really, what happened. Well, And I think that's what happened. We're going to continue the conversation in next week's show. Our guest today, Professor Randall Balmer, his book, Bad Faith, Race, and the Rise of the Religious Right, is available now wherever books are sold. Professor Balmer, I really appreciate you being with us on Freedom's Ring. My pleasure. And uh, friends, this has been Freedom's Ring. I'm your host, Alan Reinach. Till next week, let freedom ring.